Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Sean Van Buren here for episode three. Please go ahead and follow at the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. The podcast website is hosted on Podbean, and you can go to the Homestyle MMA Podcast.podbean.com for additional information and a list of all the available listing locations for this podcast. Let's go ahead and dive into it. We are talking about the UFC Fight Night Dos Anjos vs. Fazaya fight card in today's episode. I thought the main event was a fantastic fight. Interestingly, I thought the prelims as a whole were more entertaining than the main card fights. We saw some great finishes and great performances, and we also saw some fairly underwhelming fights that didn't quite live up to the expectation that was set before them. The main event itself lived up to the hype, and we have a new contender in the lightweight division. Let's take a look at the prelims, main card, and review our bets. Let's go. Prelims started off with Ronnie Lawrence versus Said Yokub Kokramanov. This was a great fight to start off the fight card. Kokramanov controlled the first round very well. He landed a big shot early that busted up Lawrence's nose, got the fight bloody right away. Kokramanov also mixed in his wrestling very well. He got Lawrence on the ground, controlled him on both the ground and in the clinch on the cage. He had a very fast start to this fight and an excellent motor. He never took his foot off the gas and continued to pressure Ronnie Lawrence throughout the fight. And and the strategy of throwing hands to set up takedowns continued into the second round and into the third. Pretty easy win for Said Yokub Kokramanov. And we were able to start our night with our plus money bet underdog as Kokramanov got the win. I did take Kokramanov straight up, but I did mention to you last week that I thought the fight would go the distance. So if you did take the chance and go Kokramanov by distance, you had an even better start to your night. So congratulations to you. Kokramanov did a great job mixing it up. He used his hands to set up his takedowns. He got Ronnie Lawrence beat up early and was able to use that to his advantage. Next prelim fight on the card was Kennedy Zekchukwu versus Carl Roberson. This fight went as planned from what you heard from the podcast last week. The size difference was very noticeable in the cage. We knew that Kennedy had that 4-inch height advantage and staggering 9-inch reach advantage. We did think that he would use that to fight from a distance, but surprise. Surprisingly, Kennedy controlled the grappling exchanges as well. Again, I think that was probably because he was all around a much bigger looking fighter than Carl Roberson. He looked like he probably weighed more than Roberson on fight night as well. Each time that Roberson got up from a takedown, Kennedy made it really hard for him to get up. Uh, he really had to fight to get up from the ground, and then he would immediately take him right back down and just started to suck the energy out of Carl Roberson right away in this fight. Kennedy got Roberson back down right away in the second round, landed some strong body shots on the ground, and Roberson started to really look worn out early in the second round. I think he actually probably lost that round 10-8, so he was down potentially 20-17 to heading into the third round. And the third round was a lot of the same. I think Carl Roberson continued to get tired. Kennedy used his reach on the feet to land a few strikes, but then whenever he wanted to, he used his size to get a takedown. And he got that finish in the third round with ground and pound TKO elbows. 
They were heavy shots. Luckily, the ref did step in here. Kennedy Zekchukwu never really appeared to be in danger in this fight. I think he figured that out by the end of the first round, and he really let all of his skills go on to display. Carl Roberson, I think, unfortunately should go back down to middleweight. He came up to light heavyweight for this fight. This does make it four losses in a row for him, all by finish. So we're going to have to see what the UFC wants to do with him going forward, but I think they probably make him go back down to middleweight since he did look pretty significantly undersized in this one. We had our first two bets of the night with Kennedy Zaychukwu getting the win. I also did say on the podcast last week that I thought it would probably be by knockout, and that is how it played out. So maybe you sprinkled a little bit on Kennedy Zaychukwu by knockout as well. The next prelim fight was actually a rematch. David Onama versus Garrett Armfield. They actually fought each other as amateurs, and Onama won via decision. Both fighters finished all of their professional wins so far, and that trend continued for Onama. Interestingly, Onama initiated the grappling in round one, even though he had the reach advantage. I think Garrett Armfield ultimately won the grappling exchanges, but Onama had higher impact shots on the feet for a very close first round. You could tell that these guys both really wanted the win, particularly since this was the second time stepping in the cage with each other. I mentioned last week that I thought Onama would win on the feet and Armfield would win on the ground. Onama threw a lot of looping shots and hooks, while Armfield kind of kept it more short shots, straight shots, went more for that speed. But ultimately, Onama reversed the takedown. Got one of his own in the second round. He was still doing a great job with his wrestling. He appeared to be the stronger fighter, but Armfield was maybe a little bit more technical. But Onama used that takedown in the second round to work to the arm triangle submission finish, and we were now rolling with three betting wins in a row to start the night. Onama had three submission victories prior to this fight, but I really thought that his win would come on the feet via knockout. It was a very impressive win for Onama, and he showed that he's comfortable fighting wherever the fight goes. The next prelim fight was Antonia Shevchenko versus Courtney Casey. I said that this fight would go the distance last week, and that is exactly what happened as both women started off pretty slow. It was mostly one or two strike combos on the feet before Casey pulled Shevchenko into her guard and they finished out the round on the ground. Casey was busier on the ground and actually gave her a close first round 10-9 even though she finished on the bottom just because she was the more active fighter and there wasn't a ton of action in that first round. Antonia really started getting the good kicks going in one round two. Casey got a few more takedowns in round three and landed some big shots in that round as well. On my scorecard, I actually thought Casey won 29-28, but you couldn't be upset either way because each round was very close. Neither woman really separated themselves in this fight. I think round one was the most available round, and Antonia won by split decision, so I will take it since that was our bet, and we got another prelim fight card bet win on our docket. The final prelim fight of the night was Cody Brundage versus Treshawn Gore. The Cynthia Calvillo fight versus Nina Nunez was canceled because Nina got sick on the morning of the fight. So this was our prelim main event, if you will. It was a great showcase because these were both two fighters that have a lot of hype and excitement around them. It was definitely an exciting fight for the short amount of time that it lasted. Cody Brundage went straight to the wrestling right away, got a takedown immediately. Treshawn Gore threw some really hard leg kicks, while Cody threw more of a wide variety of strikes. He had lead elbows, hooks, front body kicks. He landed a massive counter right hook late in the first round to knock Gore down, jumped on him, and landed the finishing blows to knock out Treshawn Gore. Treshawn definitely went to sleep and came back, went to sleep again. So the ref jumped in there, which was great, kind of saved him as he kept kind of bouncing back and Cody kept throwing punches. It was a great showing for Cody Brundage. He was mostly viewed as a wrestler entering this one. 
after he got the win, he ran around the cage yelling, I thought we were going to wrestle. So he really showed some emotion. He really wanted to put on a performance that showed that he can strike just as well as he can wrestle. And he demonstrated that by landing the knockdown against Gore from his feet, jumping on him, and finishing him on the ground. Cody Bronich now has back-to-back wins in the UFC, and he cashed another prelim ticket for us because I bet the fight to not go the distance. So this was an excellent set of five prelim fights for us. We had a clean sweep five for five on prelim fight bets. I think all four guys that won on the prelims did so in dominant fashion. I wasn't blown away by the female fight. But with those four gentlemen, I do think they will likely see stronger and more experienced competition in their next bouts. They did a great job displaying their athleticism and their excellent fighting IQs. I think Onama and Cody Brundage specifically could find themselves on a main card fight very soon because they're both now two UFC fight win streaks, both by finish. That wraps up the prelim fights. Let's go ahead and jump into the main card. The main card had a perfect start as Michael Johnson and Jamie Malarkey brought the heat to start the main card. The fight was wild immediately, a back-and-forth battle, and a very close, possibly controversial decision. Malarkey found his distance and timing first early in the fight, which led to better strikes in the first round early. Michael Johnson landed a great counter right hand and dropped Malarkey late in the first round. He jumped on Malarkey's neck, but Malarkey was able to get back up to his feet, and literally just moments later, Malarkey landed some good kicks and stumbled Johnson with a punch late in the first round. I thought it was a very close round. Both guys really gave each other some punishment, but I did give it to Michael Johnson. I thought his knockdown was more significant, and he had more time to work versus Malarkey's late round stumble with his punch. That intensity just never let up in this fight. Malarkey clearly won round two with some clean elbows and knees in the clinch that opened up a cut on Michael Johnson. Both men landed pretty evenly to start round three, but I thought Michael Johnson had the more damaging strikes late in round three that won him the round and won him the fight 29-28 to on my card. That is not the way that the judges saw it. That is not the way how the verdict community saw it. Malarkey ended up getting the nod from the judges with a split decision win, and now Michael Johnson has only won one fight of his last six. He's also got not the most beautiful record, so I'm not sure if the UFC will keep him around or not, but I do think that he will stay on his feet. I think he could continue in another big MMA league, such as Bellator or the PFL. He might just need a new start. He does seem to have this new energy about him when he fights. He's having some close fights, and I don't think that he is over as a fighter, but the UFC might take this chance to move on from him. I'm not sure how much he's getting paid, but because he's been around for a while, he might be a little bit overpaid now. This was our first missed bet of the night, as I had Malarkey by finish, and for a verdict, I had that happening in the third round. So not the best start to our main card from a betting standpoint, but an excellent start in terms of wow factor. The next fight was one that I was really looking forward to. The Ayman Zahabi versus Ricky Tercios fight was moved to the main card with the cancellation of the Calvillo versus Nunez fight. We were or at least I was, way on the Ricky Tercios train prior to this fight. The guy's all positive vibes, positive energy. It's hard to not cheer for the guy, but this was an odd fight, and it really did not show Ricky in a great light. He 
came out with a lot of these really big movements and was making a lot of random screaming noises when he would faint. And Zahabi didn't throw a single strike for the first minute and a half. So really weird start to this fight after seeing the absolute banger that Michael Johnson and Malarkey had just put on. Ricky threw a lot of volume for the entire fight. But a ton of it was blocked, and you could actually see it in real time. Sometimes you have to go back and watch a fight again to really see what strikes are being blocked. In real time, Zahabi's defense was phenomenal, and he was blocking a ton of Ricky's shots. Little did we know while watching the fight in real time that... That would just be the story of the rest of the fight. I thought Impact was even for the first round, so I gave Ricky round one due to being more aggressive. A lot of the verdict community didn't agree, and I realized after looking at the strike stats after the first round, and I had already scored it, I saw that Ricky actually only landed three strikes so all of that extra nonsense that he was doing did have me fooled. And there's always a chance that it fools the judges too. He did throw a ton of volume. It's just nothing landed and a lot was blocked. I actually noticed for the first time in round two that Ricky really wasn't checking any leg kicks from Zahabi. Every single leg kick that Zahabi was throwing was landing and impacting Ricky to the point where he would potentially do a full turn with the kick. Ricky Tercios really needs to work on that going forward because it continued for the rest of the fight and it was a very bad visual. Ricky's strikes, again, were continued to be blocked. I thought that he needed to go for a takedown in round two. I mentioned to you guys last week that I thought Ricky's wrestling could make a big difference in this one. Ricky never used wrestling in this whole fight. Zahabi won round two on my card to go into the third tied 19-19. At this point, I was really starting to sweat the home style perfect plate parlay because we had Ricky winning on there. Like I said, I was big on Ricky, but maybe I don't want to say I had been fooled because I think he was a great fighter when he was on the Ultimate Fighter. I still think Ricky is good. I just think he had a poor game plan in this one. It's possible that Zahabi had also won the first round and that we were down two going into the third round. And Ricky Tristio is just generally not a finish fight. So I was definitely sweating it here, and then when round three began, Zahabi continued to land those very clean leg kicks that were just not blocked at all, and it was a lot of the same that we saw in the first two rounds. Ricky Tercios was punching air or hitting blocks from Zahabi, and I was just really disappointed that Tercios didn't attempt to wrestle more because I think it could have made a big difference in this fight, especially because he was throwing strikes that were just missing by a ton, and I felt that if he could get in close with Zahabi, even if he went for the takedown and didn't get it, you're now fighting in at close range, I thought it would have increased his chances at actually making some contact, not with Zahabi's guard. Zahabi, though, demonstrated very strong defense, an excellent game plan. He was very patient, just let Ricky flail around and do his thing, and then he picked his shots. Ricky needs to put a little bit more work into setting up strikes and takedowns, so they're not blocked as much. Like I said, he didn't even attempt a takedown in this one. Zahabi showed great defense and patience in this fight. He picked his shots, countered Ricky Tercios very well. Zahabi won the fight fairly obviously by the end of the fight, and Ricky Tercios' money line single did not hit, and the homestyle perfect plate parlay was officially busted. After the very weird fight with Ricky Tercios and Iman Zahabi, we picked it back up with Jared Vandera versus Chase Sherman. This fight delivered just as advertised. It was immediately obvious that this fight was in fact going to be a stand-up fight with no chance at hitting the ground. It was an absolute barn burner. Sherman landed a big right hook early. He was faster and cleaner in the first round. Vandera did land a big hook late in the round, but I think Sherman won the first. Both men continued to headhunt into round two, but that's when Vandera really started to 
get going. He started to work the jab more, and it started to land pretty clean for him. It did seem that Sherman was maybe starting to slow down just a bit, and Vandera really started to let the hands go more in round two. I think Vandera might have known he lost round one, wanted to go out there and win round two, and both men were throwing bombs. So I was feeling really good about the fight to not go to the distance bet at this point. It was still a very close second round, but I give it to Vandera, 19-19 headed into the third, and Vandera at this point was really starting to gain some momentum over Chase Sherman. Both men were fatiguing, and I needed to finish. Neither man had much defense in round three, as they were both landing shots. Both of these fighters had some incredible chins in this fight, as there were multiple shots throughout the fight that I think could have put other heavyweights to sleep in this division. Vandera's hooks really started to land in the third, and he was winning round three. I think if that fight went to the scorecard, Vandera wins 29-28, possibly unanimously. You could argue split decision, but I do think two out of three judges would have gone Vandera's way. Sherman just flipped a switch in round three. All of a sudden, Sherman decided, I'm going to blitz this guy, and he unloaded the clip in the second half of round three. He hit Jared with a barrage of punches and got the TKO victory. It was very impressive that Sherman still had that energy left in the tank, and he decided we were not going to go to the scorecards. You can never count out the power of Chase Sherman as he adds yet another KO victory to his impressive resume of 16 wins, now 15 of them by knockout. On the flip side of the coin, that does make four losses in a row for Vandera. He is an exciting fighter, so we'll have to see what the UFC does with him here. I think if he does leave the UFC, hopefully a Bellator or a PFL would pick him up because I think Vandera does put on exciting fights. But Sherman ends the fight late, and we are back in the win column with our bets and our first betting win of the main card. We had Vandera by second round knockout on verdict, so that was another miss there. Tough verdict night for us, but at least we got the betting win here with the fight not going the distance. Next up, we had Douglas Silva de Andrade versus Saeed Nurmagomedov. And I have to say, Nurmagomedov is fast and incredibly entertaining to watch. He was very fast all over the place, throwing a variety of very spectacular strikes, a lot of big movements, a lot of big motions, but they didn't seem to be wearing down his energy that much early on in the fight. Silva de Andrade had some controlled time against the cage early, but Nurmagomedov was able to get out of it with a big reversal throw. Both men were looking very fast in particular because, hey, we just watched the two heavyweights go almost three full rounds in the fight just before this, so they did look particularly fast. We have to keep that in mind. But Nurmagomedov was working some very fast and odd angle kicks throughout the fight, including one that opened up a cut on Silva de Andrade's face in the first round. Saeed was ultimately able to control the distance, let the fight take place where he wanted the fight to go by really throwing a ton of kicks, using kicks high to low, setting up shots, using spinning techniques. It was very impressive to watch. Saeed Nurmagomedov took round one. He looked very sharp. This was the first of three consecutive underdog bets that we took to end the night. We had Douglas Silva de Andrade. I was feeling a little worried after round one. Nurmagomedov looked incredibly sharp. Round two began right where round one ended. Saeed landed fantastic kicks, working from high to low on the body against Silva de Andrade. He seemed to be landing every kick and every few seconds Saeed Nurmagomedov was just spinning around and throwing a kick or a back fist. He was working all kinds of different techniques, throwing strikes from all kinds of different angles. But at one point, Silva de Andrade did land a head kick, but Saeed returned it with a flying knee. I mean, this fight was full of action, and Silva de Andrade just seemed to have a hard time getting into punching range, and that was particularly because Saeed worked those kicks so well, and Saeed was just picking him apart from distance. Silva de Andrade landed a massive shot at the end of the second round to drop Nurmagomedov. I wasn't sure if it was a 
enough to win the round, but I did give it to him since it was the most significant event of that round. Douglas Sildandraj seemed to have the power advantage, but Saeed had the speed and general kickboxing advantage. I had it tied up going into the third round. Silva Dandraj had a power slam early in round three. Saeed immediately got back up. Silva Dandraj had some cage control time. Saeed was able to separate. That was kind of the story of the fight. Saeed picks him apart from a distance, works the kicks. Silva Dandraj maybe gets a, a short takedown, a little bit of control, but Saeed Nurmagomedov showed an excellent defense where he was able to get up from the ground right away. He was able to escape against the cage right away to really limit that control time. I thought the third round was very close, and I did end up giving it to Silva de Andrade. So I had Silva de Andrade in a 29-28 razor close fight. I'm going to be honest here, I was probably a little bit impacted by the fact that I took Silva de Andrade as my bet, and I didn't want to lose this bet again on the main card. Rounds two and three were very close. I don't think either fighter could be that upset with the decision, since they were very close rounds. The judges actually gave the unanimous decision to Saeed Nurmagomedov with some 30-27 scorecards. They gave me another loss as an underdog bet of Silva de Andrade money line. Saeed Nurmagomedov demonstrated high-level kickboxing and an ability to scramble when being controlled by his opponents. He will be a tough puzzle to solve in an already stacked bantamweight division as Saeed Nurmagomedov continues to work himself up potentially into the rankings here. As we enter the co-main and main event fights, I was just hoping that we could win at least one of the remaining bets since the underdogs would keep me in the black for the weekend. The co-main event of the night, Kayo Bahalio vs. Armin Petrosian, was set up to be kind of the coming out party for the winner of this fight. It was to be a spectacular introduction to the UFC fans for both of these fighters that were highly touted for their skills. This fight, to me, was just a major letdown for the fans. I didn't know a ton about either guy, so I was really excited to see what these two fighters had in store for them. They were both pretty new to the UFC. To me, it was kind of just a dud. Round one saw Bahalio hit Petrosian with a Stockton slap, which was kind of funny, and an easy takedown right out of the gate, and Petrosian just went into survival mode early and couldn't escape for the position for the entire round. But what was really odd to me, and what continued for the whole fight, was Bahalio just didn't do anything once he got him to the ground. He didn't throw a ton of damage and he even got onto Petrosian's back. So I only scored it a 10-9 instead of a 10-8 where I feel like if Bohalio just threw more shots went for more submissions. It could have easily been a 10-8 round because he had control for almost the whole thing, but he just didn't do anything with it. Petrosian started the second round with some kicks and was a little bit more active on the feet. Bahalia was just clearly waiting. He didn't throw anything to start the second round. He was waiting, working on his timing with Petrosian, and then literally one minute into the second round, got a full mount takedown within 30 seconds of being in the position, and Bahalia went for a guillotine. Petrosian was able to get back up with a few minutes left. They exchanged on the feet for a little bit, and Bahalia got another easy takedown. There was a very obvious trend in this fight. Petrosian had been exposed that he's a big deficit for not being able to stop takedowns. A lot of these were very easy double leg takedowns by Bahalia where he would just go for the shot and just run through Petrosian until he tripped him up and got him to the ground. They weren't that incredibly technical. They were just always available. Petrosian's jujitsu also needs a lot of improvement because once Bahalio got him to the ground, he was able to just move to whatever position he wanted. Typically in this fight, he'd work himself into back control. Again, he had good flow to get the takedown to get to the ground but that was it. Bahalio wasn't very offensive on the ground again, so I, I gave it another 10-9. So he was up 2018 going into the third. If Bahalio 
just did something in these positions, I think he could have had another 10-8 in the second round. Round three, Petrosian knew he had to get a finish. He landed more strikes in round three. He was able to stuff the initial takedown from Bahalio, but once... They clenched up against the fence for about half the round. The ref was getting a little bit impatient. Again, once Petrosian got in a bad position, he just went into survival mode, and Bahalio didn't do any offense. So it wasn't the most entertaining when they would get into those positions. About halfway into the round, Bahalio just kind of sloppily dropped down to the ground to go for a leg and ended up on his back. Again, I wasn't really sure what he was doing against the clinch. I think he felt like he just had to do something because the ref was telling them, hey, do something or I'm going to separate you. He worked himself back up to his feet. Barjalio got another takedown with a minute and a half left and Petrosian was able to pop up right away and they clinched again against the cage. Basically, Barjalio just controlled him on the ground for the first two rounds and then decided, I'll just control you on the cage for the third round and the fight was as entertaining as the last few minutes of me talking about it. I was very under Overwhelmed with both fighters, unfortunately. Bahalia was in dominant positions over and over again, and he just really didn't do anything offensively with them. He didn't even go for that many submissions. He went for a few, but he didn't mix in punches to help his submissions. He would take the back, he threatened with the rear naked choke a few times. You have to then throw some punches to the body, to the head, soften up the opponent, make them think about something else, so that you could then get deeper into that rear naked choke attempt. Instead, he was content with just kind of, you know, holding his arm around Petrosian's chin, and at one point Petrosian just had his hands up strictly just fighting the hands and I thought if Brahalia just lands a couple really hard body shots Petrosian's gonna have to react to them and then he could get the finish it was just a weird fight Petrosian has a lot of work to do with his wrestling and jujitsu these fighters each hyped themselves up a lot in the media heading into this fight as well and I just don't think either guy lived up to the expectations on this one in the end neither fighter took advantage of their position on the fight card to put on a dazzling performance to entice more fans to gain a little bit more popularity Brahalia had the opportunity to do so many times with his dominant positions on the ground and against the fence. He only has one finishing win, which was by knockout on Dana White's Contender Series in his last six wins. Bahalio, you're supposed to be this top prospect. You got the win easily. Don't get me wrong. A win is a win. Good job by you on that. But when you have this much hype behind you and you're going to talk that talk in the media... You need to start finishing opponents, especially when you're in the positions to do so. After that last one, my last hope was in RDA, Rafael Dos Anjos. We would either be up a few units or down about a half unit based on how he performed in the main event. And let's go ahead and dive into that main event because this was a fantastic main event fight. The main event fight. The battle of the Rafaels, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Vasiev. Both men mixed in kicks with their punches to start round one. This was a very good fight. RDA worked the clinch with Fazayev against the fence twice. They grinded it out for most of the round, but Fazayev found his flow with his strikes early. In that first round, he was already landing very clean, landing with combos, slipping and ripping, and really getting a good read on RDA on the feet. RDA did land some of his own clean blows in that first round. 
I did give him the first round with his work on the cage as the difference since it was close. Fazayev ended up getting that round on the judges' scorecard, and I really can't argue it that much. It was a very close round. Fazayev still looked very fast in the second round. RDA continued to try to wear on him a bit against the cage. He had a good entry for a takedown in round two, but Fazayev was able to reverse it and get up into cage control himself. I gave Fazayev the second round. Both rounds were very close. I had it tied going into the third. One thing that we saw, we'd heard Fazayev was great at stopping takedowns, and he proved it tonight. RDA is a fantastic fighter. He mixes in his striking with wrestling very well, so we thought it would be a tough test for Fazayev, and he really held up. I thought that heading into the third was when RDA really needed to start wearing down Fazayev so it could play into his advantage into the fourth and fifth rounds. RDA finally got the takedown in the third, but Fazayev worked his way up very quick, and the takedown defense, again, was as good as advertised. Heading into this fight, Fazayev had over a 95% takedown defense prior to this fight, which was the second best in the UFC. It did seem that Fazayev was the faster and stronger fighter for all five of these rounds, so RDA really needed to use his cardio to try to get an advantage as we headed into the championship rounds. The third round was extremely close. I gave it to Fazayev, mainly because I thought that out of the three rounds we'd seen, he needed to at least be up 2-1, and they were all pretty close based on how the fight was going. In the fourth round, Fazayev was reversing and escaping takedowns very early, but then RDA actually landed a big flying knee followed by a left hand. These fighters were very competitive with each other. It was a great fight, and it was great matchmaking, but after that big contact on the feet by RDA, you really kind of felt a momentum shift in the fourth round. RDA got a big slam takedown and got on top of Fazayev. Fatigue started to settle in as RDA was able to keep him down and win the round. The fourth round I thought was a pretty obvious win for RDA. You thought you could feel momentum really starting to shift towards RDA. Now he could have lost each of the first three rounds. He maybe won one of them. So you're thinking heading into the fifth, RDA needs to get after Fazayev early and try to finish him because the scorecards are going to be way too close. They're going to be leaning towards Fazayev. And it seemed in the fourth round that Rafael Fazayev was starting to slow down. So RDA needed to jump on him right when the fifth round started, get him fatigued as quickly as he could and try to go for that finish. Fazayev was not having it. He landed a big right hand to start the fifth that dropped RDA. He jumped on him, landed maybe one more shot, and the ref jumped in. In real time, watching it live, I thought the ref jumped in a little early. But once the ref stopped the fight and you know, kind of got off RDA, you could kind of see that RDA was not in a hurry to get back to his feet. He didn't complain about the stoppage at all. He appeared to be a lot more worse off than I thought initially. So I think ultimately it was a good stoppage. But in real time... My initial reaction was that it seemed a little bit fast. The ref being right there clearly saw something that we couldn't from sitting at home, and I'm glad he was able to get in there and save RDA from further damage. Fazayev showed that he has power in all five rounds. He can grapple very well. You are going to have to work hard to take down Rafael Fazayev, and that was the real test for this fight. Fazayev is a real threat to the lightweight division. He's an elite striker. He was able to battle RDA's takedowns very well. He's strong. He's fast. He's precise. He's going to be a problem for anyone in the division if he continues to prevent takedowns. I think the only person that could really stop Rafael Fazayev in the top five right now is going to be your champ Charles Oliveira because Charlie Olives only needs to get you down one time to end that fight. RDA did get a takedown, held him on the ground for a while, but never had a chance to go for a submission. Charlie Oliveira always finds that submission. So outside of him, I think Fazayev could really beat anybody else in that top five. And I think that we have a true contender in this lightweight division.
I wanted to pose an interesting thought to you here. What if we did Fizaev versus Conor McGregor next? Now hang in there for one second and let's talk through this. I know Charles Oliveira wants his payday fight with Conor, but Conor needs to get his hand raised again to get some momentum going. His last win came in 2020 against a now-retired Donald Cowboy Cerrone, and 2016 was his next MMA win prior to that. I think McGregor versus Rafael Fazayev would be extremely competitive and fun for the fans. If Fazayev wins, he gets launched into this next level of stardom, and I think Fazayev and McGregor went at it a little bit on social media leading up to this fight on Saturday during the week as well. So they've they've kind of built up a little bit of excitement for it themselves. So let's imagine this pay-per-view later in the year or early next year. You put lightweight champion Charles Oliveira against Islam Makachev and Conor McGregor versus Rafael Fazayev on the same fight card. If Conor wins, he fights the winner of the championship fight next, since I think the UFC wants to get him in a championship fight soon anyways, and both Charles Oliveira and Makachev want that fight. Everybody wants the Conor McGregor fight. If Azayev wins, while I think it's not necessarily fair, I think you match him up with the next top contender, whether it's a Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Benil Darius, whomever. Fazayev actually called out Justin Gaethje. So maybe that's the fight you make if he does lose. I also loved the callout of McGregor by Michael Chandler a few weeks back. So we'll have to see what happens ultimately with Conor McGregor and this division whenever he comes back from injury. He may not even come back to the lightweight division. He's looking pretty big and has talked about maybe just going up to welterweight. To me, this pay-per-view idea would be a win for all parties involved. Charles Oliveira wants to fight McGregor for the payday. Well, if they're on the same pay-per-view card, Connor still brings his fans in additional eyeballs, and Charles Oliveira will reap the benefits with his pay-per-view shares as a champion. If they both win, Charles gets to fight him again and gets back-to-back massive paydays with another McGregor pay-per-view. If Connor wins, or an Islam wins, then you have another great storyline because Islam Makachev is Khabib Nurmagomedov's pupil, and you have an additional element for promotion for that fight. The only real downside to this potential pay-per-view setup is Connor could lose to Fizaev, and if he continues to lose and continues this downward spiral in MMA, at some point he might just leave the sport for boxing because he is going to eventually start to lose that appeal. And I am a Conor McGregor fan. I want to see the guy win. He fights the best competition all the time. And I would not be against a tune-up fight against maybe someone a little bit easier than Fazayev, but he's also too big of a name to maybe do that fight. Like I said, Fazayev did call for Justin Gaethje at the end of his fight as well in the press conference. And who wouldn't really want to see that fight? Those two guys would stand and bang. It's a similar idea to a Conor McGregor fight where no guy really wants to go for the takedown, so they're just going to be throwing spectacular kickboxing for as long as the fight lasts. There's tons of matchups to make in the lightweight division. It's so stacked. You really can't miss if you just put two guys together in there. And I think the Dana White and the UFC just needs to go ahead and start lining up some of these fights. We're going to quickly review our bets and our verdict scorecard for UFC Fight Night Dos Anjos versus Fazayev. We've kind of touched on each one as we've gone through the podcast today, so this will just be a quick recap. We won Said Yokub Kakramanov as an underdog against Ronnie Lawrence. With Kennedy Zetchukwu versus Carl Roberson, we took Zetchukwu for win. It was actually by knockout. 
which was not what we took, but something that I alluded to last week as well. With the late edition of David Onama versus Garrett Armfield, it was at minus 700 when we recorded the podcast last week, and I mentioned to you that I'll be looking for the fight by finish later in the week, and we did take that and got the win. Antonio Shevchenko versus Courtney Casey, we had Shevchenko with the win, and Cody Brunage versus Treshawn Gore. We took fight to not go the distance, which was also when I talked last week about maybe going Treshawn Gore straight up. Glad we made that last minute change as we were able to sweep 5 for 5 on the prelims. Our Cynthia Calvillo versus Nina Nunez fight was obviously voided because the fight did not occur. Onto the main card, the Michael Johnson versus Jamie Malarkey fight. We had Jamie Malarkey by finish for plus money. That was a loss as he won by decision. At, with Malarkey at minus 240 at the time, I probably wouldn't have taken that anyways. It, it just was too long of odds, and as you saw in the fight, it was too close. Amon Zahabi versus Ricky Tercios. This was a big dud. We lost with the Turkios money line here. Jared Vandera versus Chase Sherman. Fight to not go the distance. This was a great late win. Made me sweat a little bit, but we got that one. Douglas Silva de Andrade versus Saeed Nurmagomedov. We lost the Douglas Silva de Andrade money line underdog. We lost the Kayo Bahalio versus Armin Petrosian underdog of of Petrosian, and we lost the RDA versus Rafael Fazayev, underdog of RDA. So tough last three fights to end the main card and to end the fight night. But overall, because of those prelims, it wasn't a good, wasn't a bad night with our bets as we finished only down 0.59 units. We needed one of the final three underdog fights to hit, and we would have been in plus money. Obviously not what we wanted, but I took a few extra longer odd bets compared to what I normally do. We took some chances and they just didn't pan out in this one. With our verdict scorecards, uh, it was not a great night on verdict. I did not receive any trophies with my picks for this fight. Like I mentioned, we had a much better prelim than main card tonight, and verdict generally only uses main card fights. The home style perfect plate parlay was also busted twice. <laughs> we had RDA, Ricky Tercios, and David Onama plus 388. David Onama was the only one that came through for us. We're going to track the home style perfect plate parlay separately from our other bets. So it's currently just down one unit for the podcast. We will look to bounce back on Saturday. Let's go ahead and dive into the Homestyle MMA Podcast Awards. There were no early prelims, so we will go straight into the mac and cheese prelims performance of the night. We are going to give that to Cody Brundage. I thought he did a great job taking advantage of his showcase. He put on an excellent performance and showed that while he's known for his wrestling, he could stand and strike with some of the best in the division. So he really set himself up for a step up in competition for his next fight and potentially a spot on the main card next time he fights as well. Our chicken and dumplings main card performance of the night has to go to Rafael Fazayev. He had a fantastic showcase here. He showed that he is truly the elite striker that we all knew that he was, and that his takedown defense is not a fluke. He went up against one of the best takedown artists in the division with Rafael Dos Anjos, and he was able to stuff countless takedowns. So he proved that he is the real deal. He's a real threat in the lightweight division, and he is our chicken and dumplings main card performance of the night winner.
It was a tough night on Verdict for the podcast, and we did miss just a little bit on our gambling this week, but it really was a great card top to bottom. There was a lot of entertainment. I think a lot of fighters took advantage of their opportunities in this one, with just a few fighters maybe not doing so. We went with a lot of underdogs on this card that didn't go my way. That's going to happen sometimes. With the fight game, you never know what could happen. One punch could end a fight. One mistake can end a fight. We will try to bounce back next week when we take a look at UFC Fight Night or Ortega versus Rodriguez on Saturday. We'll be previewing that card on Thursday's podcast and is loaded with some great fighters. Another really good card where there's going to be a lot of close matchups and a lot of interesting stylistic fights. The main event is a battle of jujitsu versus striking and there's a little bit of that trend throughout the whole card. The winner of this fight could be in line next to fight Volkanovski for the featherweight championship if it is not Josh Emmett. Even though Volkanovski is a very active champion, it does appear that we have a little bit of a logjam at the top of that division. So this fight could have big implications. I think a finish in the main event of this fight could set that person up for an immediate fight with Volkanovski in the featherweight championship. We will have to wait and see, but please join me on Thursday as we dive into that fight card. Please go follow at the Homestyle MMA podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at Homestyle MMA pod on Twitter. Check out the Homestyle MMA podcast.podbean.com for additional information about the podcast and where to listen. I'll continue to grow our content on social media as we get further into this podcasting journey. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe, like, and comment. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Have a good one.